Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. To love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. Allow me to introduce my dearest friend, the idlest man in London. I'm sure you were very badly brought up. Mm, I was. I wish I had brought you up. I'm sorry I didn't. Of all the men in England, Lord Goring is the most determined to stay single. You are 36, and you must get a wife. Shh. I only admit to 32. Until an old flame came into town. Are you not just a little bit pleased to see me? Possibly even less than that. With scandalous news about his best friend, Sir Robert Chilton, a rising star in Parliament. Yours a very nasty scandal, Sir Robert. Good heavens. I'm afraid I should make you a very bad husband. I don't mind bad husbands. I've had two. You were talking quite seriously. You must forgive me, Lady Chilton. It won't occur again. I shall be in the conservatory under the second palm tree on the right. And then we'll see how you do. Academy Award nominee Kate Blanchett. Academy Award nominee Minnie Driver. Rupert Everett. Academy Award nominee Julianne Moore. And Jeremy Northam. Married yet. Must be getting half an hour. An ideal husband. So what are we doing this week? Uh, An ideal husband which is uh, something I think everyone asked for. Yeah, I think so. You're going to have to refresh me to the plot of uh, An (laughs) Ideal Husband. (laughs) Because I did Uh, watch it, but but it's been about a week. Well, it's it's been a few weeks for me. So um, I I would say it's a a general sort of, I don't know, screwball-ish comedy of uh, various friendships, romantic interests, and pursuits. You have... uh, one couple, primarily uh, this politician uh, who has always been very upstanding um, and I guess like sort of a, I don't know if you'd call it a role model, but just like an icon of goodness to his wife, like the the perfect man, the ideal husband. Uh, you have his friend played by Rupert Everett, who I guess is like the main character or mainly the, uh, the plot sort of revolves around his decision making or... Uh, confusion that he causes uh, who's like the uh, scoundrel the lovable scamp the best friend and uh, he has a crush on the politician's sister 
Uh, but then Julian Moore comes to, I guess, play the heel and uh, try to turn everyone against each other for her own gain. Is that good enough? Yeah, it's good enough. I mean, so we have our old it friend. Didn't sound like it. Didn't sound like you were uh, that impressed with it, but <laughs> I think listeners will be like, "All right, I get it." Pretty generally speaking, yeah. So we have a we have a funny comedic period piece based on an Oscar Wilde play with you know two couples and various kind of swapping around of. Well, let's uh, not get too. It's not that you know titillating as far as that goes. <laughs> let's not be misleading with our listeners. Well, you know what I mean. You've got kind of you know various shenanigans going on. Uh, it's obviously stagey, right? Like you know, someone yeah, comes in a room, they have their own private conversation, and uh, they think they have it all figured out, and uh, you know, it's out of the frying pan uh, into the fire, pretty much from one one little funny interlude to the next. I remember it as being because I had actually seen this around 2005 or so on DVD. And I I remember liking it a lot better, and I remember it, I remember it seeming more stagey than uh, than it does to me today. And maybe maybe I just hadn't seen that many stage adaptations at that point. Uh, but like today, the things that stuck out to me was the times when they would do something to make it. Di- obviously different than what you could do on stage like this uh these flashbacks that they have with jeremy northam's character who who we've, we've seen a lot of jeremy northam on this podcast we're really <laughs> none was his know, year baby yeah we're really <laughs> heavily promoting jeremy northam uh this is, this is the third part of our jeremy northam uh trilogy i guess at this point <laughs> just as successful as the other two i'm sure oh no he was in gloria as well so we had gloria oh and he's in happy texas also man so we have five movies on this podcast with jeremy doing happy texas that was it's on the list yeah oh no <laughs> <laughs> i've not seen it but that's well, i, I spent eight dollars right? uh to get that dvd on ebay so we're doing oh. it like <laughs> You were you were heavily invested. Twenty years later, <laughs> that was a hard Texas. one to find. That was a really yeah. hard one to find. Um, so yeah, we got Gloria, an ideal husband, the Winslow boy, and uh, coming up, Happy Texas, and then we also did Gosford Park. So we did five films on Jeremy Northam. Well, this was <laughs> a first time watch for me, and I I can't say I was really looking forward to it. But I felt with the uh, star power here, as I mentioned, Julianne Moore, Rupert Everett, Minnie Driver, Kate Blanchett, I was like, okay, this is worth seeing. And this was, uh, I guess, like a change of pace sort of release in the the summer, just to see what sort of, mm-hmm. if this was something that maybe would, would break out, which I don't think the expectations were probably too high for this, but I'm trying to get back into 1999 mode and Rupert Everett uh, would have been a lot bigger for this type of material coming off of uh, my best friend's wedding two mm-hmm. years prior. Well, it so adjusted so it made eighteen million dollars in nineteen ninety nine uh, okay. money adjusted for inflation. That's like thirty two million. So that would be like it's today's you know breakout summer indie hit. You know, <laughs> yes. So give them credit. You know. I have to say though that I uh I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I don't like um you know this type of material. Um <laughs> I think probably the only 
thing that I had seen close to it, uh, which isn't really close at all, it was Rupert Everett. Um, I think his directorial debut in the previous fall, 2018, uh, where he played Oscar Wilde uh, towards the end of his life. Um, but, you know, I've seen... <laughs> Yeah, you see his quotes all the time, right? Like you, I mean, he's like sort of the the king of. I mean, he would have been great on Twitter as far as the the quip <laughs> or the uh, the put down, you know. And and to do it in a you know very succinct fashion, he would have he would have been great. But uh, I didn't think I would necessarily want to see you know two hours of that, uh, ninety minutes plus. Uh, but I I really uh, I really enjoyed this one, and you know, I mean, some of it it does. It does have that big pet peeve for me where if someone is just direct and sort of says what they mean and means what they say, uh, you don't have too much of a storyline here. But if I, if I get into that mold of like, you know, Midsummer's Night's Dream or something like that, where it's, uh, just a lot of unnecessary confusion, but everything pretty much all works out in the end, uh, I thought it was pretty charming. I have to say, I probably like Mini Driver the best, um, but I, I I liked it for the most part. I, this is the type of movie that I wanted to see when we started doing this podcast. Was something that you would be hard pressed to get me to watch. You'd really have to twist my arm. Uh, much like I guess Happy Texas coming later. Uh, so I hope that one works out too. But I yeah I had a I had a fun time with this one. You know it's just so with the exception of analyze this. Uh, you know there there's gonna be some flip flopping. Uh, and in in the movies that we're talking about uh, for for the next you know two episodes or so, um, I I remember enjoying this quite a bit more. And and today I like the performances, I like the cast, and I like the story itself. But I I kind of criticize the direction here. I I don't think when Kate Blanchett gives this nice little final speech at the end here. And we're and we're holding on her for for quite a long time. I don't think you need cutesy music uh, underscoring that. And, and I know it's a piece of classical music or whatever that they've that they've kind of used ironically there. But but I don't think you need it. Well, the truth is, the business about Mabel and uh, Mr. Whistler. Well, you see, that was just my friends being kind and um, protecting me. Uh, well, the truth is. When, when I agreed to the story about the letter being intended for you and not for Arthur, well, you see, the truth is... I think the direction here is kind of faulty. And so I don't know much about Oliver Parker, uh, but looking up his credits, I know I remember the his version of Othello from 1995 being kind of problematic as well. And Is that the one with uh, Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne okay. and Kenneth Branagh, and I remember mistakenly thinking that that Kenneth Branagh had directing had directed it, and then watching it, you know, in the you know in between, uh, <laughs> like like I mean, Henry V and and Hamlet, uh, and like oh yeah, this doesn't really to doesn't, make, yeah it doesn't right? really stack up. <laughs> <laughs> So so I don't know maybe maybe I was I was unfairly harsh on that movie but I do remember it not being that good uh and I look Did at you his see his follow up? The uh I guess he followed up with another uh, Oscar Wilde I adaptation. I did not. Oh, Rupert I saw the same piece it's like Rupert Everett. Oh wait, not okay, Rupert Everett is in it, but then Colin Firth, Francis O'Connor, Reese Witherspoon, J.D. Dench, maybe that's something I should check out. 
So are you a fan like uh if, like I, I mentioned I'm sort of a you know pretty much a big novice when it comes to Oscar Wilde material. What you know what about yourself? Are you coming at it as a, a fan of his you know written work or just just treating this just as a you know just from your experience with this movie uh on previous watch? Outside of the picture of the portrait sorry the oh yeah no it is the picture the picture of Dorian Gray uh outside of that I'm not really that familiar with Oscar Wilde's work. So, you know, and I had seen this film and everything. So, I mean, I have a general sense of what kind of tone Oscar Wilde, you know, uh, is living in. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the story itself. It's some of these lame directing decisions. <laughs> and I, and I, <laughs> I just think that. So you're talking about Minnie Driver, that scene between her and Rupert Everett in the, in the hallway well, uh, you know, you should really, there should re- really be a real sense of what's at stake here and what both those characters want. And it, it's there because the cast is good, but the directing itself, I think, felt uh, a little aimless and a little, uh, a little bit of a letdown. About this evening, I... Congratulations. I beg your pardon? I gather you are to be congratulated. Well, naturally, there's nothing I like more than to be congratulated. Though invariably I find the pleasure immeasurably increased by knowing what for. Haven't you heard? You're to be married. Your father says... Does he? Yes, he does. Well, the fact is, your assumptions are presumptuous. You see... I'm not sure... that I've seen anything I quite like the look of yet. Oh, really? To look at a thing is quite different from seeing a thing. One does not see anything until one sees its beauty. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll meet you halfway. I won't. I'm not gonna come out and say this guy uh, you know, is a misunderstood uh, auteur. But I, uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I ever buy into even the the stakes uh, of this. You know, a lot of it hinges on scallywag. Rupert Everett, mm-hmm. um, and you know whether he can admit to you know just having like making some mistakes, but really having the best interests of his best friend uh, at heart, uh, and in doing so, he's going to he's going to shine a light on some of the flaws of his best friend's wife, which you know that you a story like this you I don't you obviously can't make it today. Right, like you can't put it in a modern setting because you, yeah, <laughs> you would wonder mm-hmm. who who the hell are these people that are just going to be like, you know, crestfallen if they find out that their, um, you know, husband or wife has you know told a little white lie to protect them on an emotional level, um, and the only thing they're covering is that they were attempting to, uh, to figure out a way to you know better themselves, better their position in the world to try to help them, um. So, I, I mean, you have to like you have to kind of buy into that, and so, you know, the the I guess the B plot here is this this relationship between the sister and Rupert Everett, played uh, by Minnie Driver, and um, and I mean, I just I'm just always in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, of course, this all just works out. Like we're just <laughs> we're spinning plates until everyone has a good laugh uh, when all the cards are on the table. Uh, because it's uh, you know it's the the type of movie that ends in a ends in a marriage, ends in a wedding, right? It's like a true comedy that way 
So I don't know. I don't know if I, I had as big an issue uh, as you did as well. Of course, you said that you enjoyed it more the first go around. So uh, maybe I was just caught unawares at mm-hmm. just how much I was enjoying it the first time. Uh, but uh, I, I'm taking this as a, a true tragedy, Ben. That I, I thought well, it's okay. not a true tragedy. I, I think I just enjoyed it slight like slightly less this time, and it's a slight no, no, miss. This for is me a tragedy. It's a slight miss because why? This is <laughs> why is such, it a tragedy? <laughs> this is such an anti Michael Denniston joint. And for me to come out and be like, that was really good. I had a, I had a lot of fun with that. And <laughs> to come on and hear you bash this poor director. <laughs> like he's, he's no Kenny B. He can't bring it home when it counts. Uh, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm taking this one as a pretty big, pretty big loss, Ben. I thought we, I thought I was going to be the holdout. So if I came around to its charms, I thought for sure you'd be on board with it. The movie has a lot of good stuff in it. There, there's enjoyable stuff. There's many times when I, I found myself enjoying it. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I could. I don't know if it ultimately stacks up against period pieces that you know uh, of the time. I uh, think Julian Moore's work in the end of the affair coming up uh, could be. Uh, you know, that's that's something I remember liking uh, quite a bit more than I like this. But then again, I could be maybe that'll be a flip flop. This is a this is the second flip flop for me. So you know, it's gonna happen, and it's probably more likely to happen with these movies where you know you aren't that passionate about them. Like I wasn't that passionate about it when I saw it in two thousand five. I just thought, oh, this is entertaining. This is good. And I was looking forward to watching it on that, on that, in that regard. Uh, and then we come to, do you, do you think that's what it is? Do you think that movies that where you had more of a dispassionate response to it initially anyways, like even whether it was good or bad, uh, you know, if you're in, if you're in sort of that middle ground, uh, you know, I had to use like a, a, a 20, a, a 2019 term, but sort of like the, the 50 to 60 range on Metacritic. Uh, those kind mm. of movies. Do you think you're more likely to come to them years later and be disappointed by them, or or pleasantly surprised by them? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I would I would probably lean negative as well because we've <laughs> we've got one coming up on the schedule that uh, I've, I've rewatched and I didn't know how I would respond to it. Like it's not something I I watched it I guess theatrically uh, that summer and. Um, I'm like, wow, I don't really remember much about that at all. Uh, and then when I came back to it, I despised it. So there you go, listeners. If you're, if you're thinking I'm taking the week off by being charmed by this, uh, period piece rom-com, I will come back with hate, uh, in a, an upcoming episode. Um, it, I, I would certainly lean that you're, you're line of thinking more because I think if you're, you know, passionate and you're negativity uh maybe that has a chance to to simmer down just a little bit or like i I have had those rare instances where i and we have another one you know further down the line uh that i outright despised on release and uh now it's become one of my favorite films um i don't know um i feel like i mean i (laughs) i would be hard pressed and i would probably find this person very interesting if say you met someone at a bar or you're just talking movies (laughs) And uh, they were like, you know, what my favorite movie of all time is an ideal husband. <laughs> like, you know, I, as much as I enjoyed it, um, I would probably be, would be taken aback if someone was that passionate about it in the positive as as well. Um, I can see hating it easier just if you just don't, you know, if these if you find these characters grating and annoying, I think I would get it, even though I enjoyed them. 
Uh, you know, I think there's just some th- some hills that people, filmgoers, just can't get over. That there's just some pet peeves that they just, you know, they just won't allow themselves to sort of embrace them. And what I was talking about earlier, where these characters just sort of talk around everything and s- instead of just coming straight at it, mm-hmm. uh, I could see that you know producing some some huffing and some agitation. You know, back in 1999, with at least you know one half of like a uh, a couple on a on a date night, and I could see the other half just thinking that it was just you know just a pleasant experience where people kind of flirt and then it all ends up uh, ends up great in the end. It was a pleasant experience, but I don't know. It's not enough of a pleasant experience. <laughs> but for not me anymore. Says Ben <laughs> It's not enough of a pleasant experience for me to disregard um, some of the bad direction in this movie. And, you know, I don't know. I think we should we should look at it with a bit. Uh, I guess I'm looking at it with. a. am I'm, I'm sorry for being so negative on your, you your one negative. period piece that you've decided that to like. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Rupert Everett. Let's talk about Rupert Everett because you've seen well, this movie I want to throw something that at he you. directed well, now. No? Well, what are you going to throw at me? Well, I remember a previous, a, a previous podcast conversation we had uh, was a film that I thought was directed rather poorly uh, by Mr. Denzel Washington, Fences. And you were much more positive on it, um, I think, uh, mainly because of the power of the performances there. Do you think like have you gone back to rewatch that one? I just don't. After? I don't. I just don't think this whole. So this whole. This whole notion of staginess. I think people take it way too far. And to me, I think if a movie is going to adapt a stage play that is obviously stage bound and doesn't really lend itself, you know, well to to, to being opened up and everything, they should just embrace that rather than do silly things. And, and I think we see that in this movie. With, with these flashbacks that, you know, are just boring and, and, you know, not, there's nothing really distinctive or memorable happening there. And I would rather have just seen the scene of Rupert Everett's character describing what happened. Uh, you know, it would, I, I think it would have had more of an impact. And I think because Mr. Parker here is, is probably, was probably, you know, too afraid, you know, to, uh, uh, to have the whole thing just rest on Jeremy Northam and Rupert Everett talking to each other. That's why we get these kind of cheesy uh, flashbacks of the desaturated color and the weird music and everything. And um, Fences is not poorly directed. Uh, you know, that, that was something that I think Twitter latched on to. Uh, you, well, you that's because I led the charge, you know. Probably, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's the thing is that like, like this is what happens with these like you know self-proclaimed uh, cinistas or whatever uh, on Twitter is, is that's like oh this movie was adapted from a stage play and I can tell therefore it is bad and badly directed and it's just like well that's really not no that is how it works and I don't I, you know I I don't I don't uh, feel that way. Uh, there's another movie I've been trying to get you to watch for years called Proof, the from 2005. That, that one, yeah, it's probably the only it's probably the only Jake Gyllenhaal movie you haven't seen, I would guess. And it, Is it's Emma Thurman in that. No, it's Jake Gyllenhaal and Gwyneth Paltrow and Anthony Hopkins, nah, and go. it's Jake Gyllenhaal playing a nor- playing a relatively normal human being, uh, which is why I've always tried to get you to watch it. And it got it <laughs> got criticized. <laughs> it got criticized for its weird uh, versions of opening up the uh, the play and everything. And I think a lot of that was just 
you know, film critics wanting to really like stake their claim for it becomes sort of a, a competition of, uh, you know, forms of art rather than taking hmm. the movie on its own terms. And I don't like that. I've never liked that. Uh, you know, I like the way you put that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, you're, you're completely wrong on fences, you know, <laughs> an ideal, an ideal husband is better than fences. Put that out there in the world. That's we've already decided that. I mean, I don't uh, agree with that, but, <laughs> <laughs> Uh okay. Uh you were about to ask me about Rupert Everett. Yeah, his, let's talk uh, about old Rupert. Uh okay. he's 60 now, so he's old. Um <laughs> But right, you've then. seen but you've seen this movie he got to do. He directed uh you know where where uh he was playing um Oscar Wilde, The Happy Prince. He directed it and he started it and you know largely So in 1999 like him and I guess Ian McKellen, and I guess Nathan Lane, uh, they're the only openly gay actors I can think of at that time. Can you think of any others? Hmm. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, I guess, yeah. And, well, I was, I was about to say by proxy, Anne Heche, I guess, as far as... By proxy. Know, uh, it, you yeah, know, it hardly counts. Star. I think. I mean, like, well, according according to Steve Martin and Bowfinger, I guess if you believe uh, Heather Graham is playing Anne Hayes, then no, I don't know. But uh, sure, yeah, not. I mean, not many, obviously. So uh, you know, and I've always I've always sort of respected him for that choice. Uh, you know, of doing that at a time when it wasn't popular, and it obviously did impact his. You know, Nathan Lane, uh, as good of an actor as he is, you know, he was never really gonna. Uh, <laughs> grace the posters and be like a leading right. action yeah. adventure star or you. anything yeah. like that. Uh, and Ian McKellen also, you know, relatively old, uh, even, even then, uh, you know, for Rupert Everett, it really obviously did impact his career and he, you know, sure. took on, you could have seen him yeah. being James Bond or something or being, you know, the, the, an action star being a romantic lead. Uh, uh, but you know, for his, I mentioned him having the breakout role and, my best friend's wedding. And I think we're, you know, unlike with straight actors, uh, with that matching up with his sexual orientation, uh, it seemed to be like, Oh yeah, he's, he's really good as the, the gay best friend. Mm -hmm. When's he going to, when's he going to be the gay best friend again? And, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that was really unfortunate. Cause I've, I've rewatched my best friend's wedding, uh, a couple of times, uh, you know, recently as an, as an adult. And, uh, I, I've really, I, I mean, I really enjoyed him obviously, but, it does have that tinge of, I guess, you know, yet again, a tragedy, the tragedy of you not being as high on this film and then seeing that and thinking like, ah, oh, damn, you know, sometimes watching those movies, uh, and I don't think we've come across that too much in the course of this podcast where I'm seeing somebody and thinking like, man, like, you know, I wish they would have the opportunities to do more stuff, but he, he would be one of them. Um, and that, that did carry over in the happy prince, uh, playing Oscar Wilde, uh, you know, older on the, on the sort of downswing, uh, you know, destitute and his friends turning on him. Um, you know, it, that, that, that had some weight to it. Uh, that being said, I didn't really much care for the movie, but, uh, I didn't think did I would either. So okay. that's why, that's why I skipped it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was, his performance was really good. Um, but it just, you know, the only conclusion I came across, uh, was like, I don't, I don't think I would have liked hanging out with Oscar Wilde for too long. He just talks too much. It's just, it's just, <laughs> he just would talk you to death. And so, um, yeah, I mean, meet him, shake his hand. He'll tell you a couple of jokes and have a, a funny story or two. He'd be a great talk show guest, but you know, an entire, uh, two hour, uh, 
film with him. That was that was a, a bridge too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> you like me talking about this real person? <laughs> I only know him through this, uh, you know, dramatized uh, character in this film. And I'm just like, you know what? I wouldn't have liked that dude. <laughs> too much of him. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's about it. Uh, you know, I <laughs> you sound so depressed during this whole episode. A little uh, bit. I'm sorry. Uh, you haven't even given me shit for the fact that it's like, you know, my love of uh, Mini Driver and Tarzan, and she's just she was just on fire for me. I guess in Summer of '99, I didn't even know it because I didn't watch the movie she was in. But I just, she's, she's she's way better here than she than uh, she was allowed to be in uh, the Tarzan. Uh, two disaster. fantastic performances back to back. But we will be talking about voice actors, I think, in a in a few weeks uh, from now. That's true. Uh, we have uh, uh, yeah. South Park. We got coming up. Yeah, Mr. George Clooney. And, uh, I think his most famous voice. Yeah. yeah, but that's not next week. <laughs> so okay, who who gets to quiz? Do I get to quiz you, or do you get to quiz me on what's coming up next week? I guess it just depends on uh, you know which of us has the notes in front of us. I do, I don't have the notes in front of me. Okay, so if you want to so, quiz me, you can. Uh, early Leslie Mann role, hmm. pre-knocked up, and also the title is not just a famous Tennessee Williams character, uh, would have been played by Burl Ives, most famously. Mm, okay. Do you know what it is? Uh, this would be, um, I don't know if it's the peak, uh, it may be the most generally populist Adam Sandler comedy, as far as like a family comedy and not just uh, frat humor, this would be Big Daddy. Yep. So you have that to look forward to, Deniston. <laughs> well, I'm sure in the marketing back in 1999, they were name checking Tennessee Williams. Oh, yeah. Marketing. They were like, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to hit those Tennessee Williams fanboys out there. <laughs> And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99